0: Before we begin our study of God's Word this morning, I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. That's on page 1001 in the red Bibles in the pew in front of you. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Everybody wants to be heard That's kind of part of being a human being. You want to be heard, and you want to be understood. If you're a parent, there are times when you want your kids to hear you. And maybe you raise your voice a little bit, or maybe you repeat yourself, or maybe all of the above. Maybe if you're a spouse, you want your spouse to hear you. And I know no husband has ever ignored what his wife was saying, has he? And wives, if you want your husband to hear you, sometimes you have to say, honey, will you listen to me please? But if you want to be heard, and if you want to be remembered, it's not just about getting people's attention, but it's also about speaking with eloquence. It's about speaking things that are memorable and are important and saying the things that really need to be said. When you look at Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, you find a statement of the eloquence of God. The God that we worship, the God that we've gathered together this morning to exalt and to praise, He is a God who speaks. And you say, well, yeah, what else is new? We know that God speaks, we've just sung songs about the Bible being God's word and revelation to us. But think about the extraordinary nature of the fact that God speaks. God didn't have to say anything to mankind. God could have remained silent. When you open your mouth and you speak to somebody, you start telling them about who you really are and about what's going on in your heart. God didn't have to do that for any of us. But it's a manifestation of his mercy and his grace that God has spoken to mankind. And Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3 deals with the fact that God has spoken. Open your Bibles there if you haven't already done so this morning and let's read this passage together. And I want you to notice that the main subject is God and the main verb is speak or spoken. God has spoken. That's the main idea of these three verses. Listen to what he says. He talks about it in Hebrews 1 verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's putting this on a timeline. He's saying, there was a time in the past long ago when God spoke to our fathers. But now, look at verse two, in these last days, we're, seeing, we're moving down the timeline. In these last days, God has spoken to us By His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. What's the point? God has spoken, and God has spoken eloquently to the world. The word eloquence, it means discourse, conversation that is marked by great power and persuasiveness. When you think about people who are eloquent, you might think of William Shakespeare. He wrote some amazing plays, very eloquently stated, some of the things that Shakespeare put in print. Or you think about people that speak eloquently, think about people like Abraham Lincoln, well known for his eloquence in speech. Or people like Martin Luther King Jr. and his I Have a Dream speech. Or people who speak eloquently about and passionately about a cause. Maybe you like watching some of the TED Talks and some of the people who make those TED Talks, those brief speeches are extremely eloquent in dealing with their topic. Eloquence is about saying things well and it's about saying things appropriately. Both what is said and how it is said. Said another way, if you want to be heard and if you want people to remember what you have said, you have to give some attention to saying things well. You have to give some attention to what you're not going to say. What details don't need to be included? What kinds of phrases and words need to be left out. That's part of eloquence as well. And what Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 3 are saying to us is that God has spoken eloquently all through history. He has said everything he wanted to say and he has said it in the very best way that it could be said. And when you stop and think about it, it's mind blowing. I try as a preacher to say things that are helpful to people that will help all of us to respond to God in faith. I try as a preacher to say things as eloquently as I know how. I'm always trying to work on that. But as I think about God, he never says anything poorly. He never says anything in a way where you kind of look at it and say, you know, God could have phrased that better where God could have said more than he actually said in this, this passage if, if he'd really been thinking about things, God speaks eloquently. He's given us his word, his revelation, and let's talk about the implications of what's being said in Hebrews 1, verses one through three this morning. Because this passage tells us that when we see Jesus, he is the most eloquent expression of God's will that we will ever receive. Let's notice, first of all, as you look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, God's eloquence in times past. Look at verse 1 again. Many times long ago, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so the first the first principle that's being brought to our minds here is that God was speaking by those Old Testament prophets. If you've ever read any part of the Old Testament, you've probably run across the phrase, thus says the Lord. And when you look at prophets in the Old Testament, it reads like a who's who list of what's important, of who's important, and who is faithful to God. Abraham was a prophet of God. Moses was a prophet of God. David was a prophet of God. And you go down later in history, Elijah and Elisha were like thunder and lightning standing before the wicked king of Israel and telling him, thus says the Lord. Nathan the prophet spoke to David and reminded him of his sin. You think about Isaiah, Isaiah was from king's palaces and he could go speak to the king of Israel about the sins of his people. And then you had Amos who was a farmer and a tender of sycamore fruit, a country boy we might call him, but God spoke through Amos as well. All of these faithful individuals were receiving information from God and their job was to be God's mouthpiece, to be God's voice box. And what these men said and what these men wrote and what they revealed to Israel and to other nations long ago in times past, when these men spoke, people should have listened because these men spoke with the eloquence of God. They were revealing God's message to the world. You look at those phrases many times. God spoke all through Old Testament history, many ways. You think about that, the many ways in which God spoke to people. Sometimes he revealed himself in dreams. Like in the days of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, Daniel interpreted the dream. Sometimes God revealed himself by speaking directly to someone. Sometimes he revealed himself in visions. Ezekiel chapter 1 gives us a grand vision that Ezekiel saw of God and his might and his power. Sometimes God revealed himself by writing things down as he did with Moses. He wrote his word on those stone tablets and Moses brought those tablets, the words of God, the eloquence of God. He brought those words to the people. And so the Hebrews writer is just saying that's what God has been doing from times past, long ago. God has been speaking to the world by the prophets. And think about what it means that God has spoken through the prophets. His message through the prophets always had these characteristics. God's message was always adequate for the occasion. In the days of the Old Testament, God did not give people in one big download everything that God had in mind for the world. He revealed his will in bits and in pieces, but he gave people what they needed to be faithful, to know him, and to have a relationship. Not only that, but God's revelation in the Old Testament was progressive. What God said to Adam and what God said to, to Abraham and what God said to David, all of those pieces of information, it was just new information being added to old. It was progressive revelation. God revealed a little bit to Adam, a little bit more to Abraham, a little bit more to men like Moses, but it's progressive revelation. Again, when God revealed his word to the prophets, the word had continuity I'm kind of notorious in my family for changing my mind, for being, I'm going to do things this way and then, and then I'll think about it because I overthink everything and I'll change my mind. No, let's do it this way instead. And it frustrates some people that I live with sometimes that I do that. I try to do better about it. God never does that. God always knows what his purpose and his will is. And so even in the Garden of Eden, as he's casting out Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, he can speak about the woman's seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. And he can look down through 4,000 plus years of history and he can see how the cross is going to bring to fulfillment the prophecy that was given before man was even thrust out of the garden. There's continuity The same plan is being brought out in all that God revealed to the prophets. He's eloquent. He's saying what needs to be said. He's saying more and more of what needs to be revealed. And there's continuity in how he reveals this. And what God says is always powerful. When God speaks, people ought to listen because God says what he has to say in the very best way possible. There is power in the word of God. It was the word of God that is responsible for the creation of heaven and earth. God just spoke it into existence, Genesis chapter one. Let there be light and there was light. Let there be a division between the land and the water and there was a division. God's word is powerful then and God's word is powerful when he speaks to people. When he tells Israel, thus saith the Lord. When he speaks to the Egyptians, thus saith the Lord. God's word has power. But the thing about it, as you look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we're talking about progressive revelation. And a long time ago, the Hebrews writer says, in times past, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Whenever God spoke to a prophet in the Old Testament, this is key. Write this down if you're taking notes. Everything God said always had To be continued, kind of implied. Everything God said, if you watch, binge watch TV shows or things like that, often a TV show at the end of an episode will have, to be continued. And everything God said to David, or everything God said to Abraham, or everything God said to Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, or Isaiah, or Amos, or whoever, when God spoke to these prophets and these prophets spoke for God, there was always this implied yeah, the message is great, the message is powerful, the message is adequate, but to be continued. There's more to be said. God hasn't said everything He's got to say yet. That's the point of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Notice secondly, as we talk about the eloquence of God, God is saying what He wants the world to be, and He speaks through the prophets in the Old Testament, but now, pay attention, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, God is eloquent in speaking through Jesus Christ. We've come this morning to honor and to serve and to worship Jesus Christ. We observed the Lord's Supper just a few moments ago. It is the Lord's Supper. It is praise and worship and adoration of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. God has been at his most eloquent in Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. Those Old Testament prophets, they were like mouthpieces. They were like tools that God used to be eloquent to speak to the world. Those Old Testament prophets were instruments in God's hands in order to speak to a world that needed to hear what he had to say. But in Jesus, God himself stepped onto the stage and began to speak to the world. At long last, at the end of the centuries, when the fullness of the time had come, Galatians chapter four, verse four, Jesus Christ came forth and he is the best revelation of God's will that the world can ever receive. That's what this passage is saying. And if you look at Hebrews chapter one, verse two, and if you look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three, it lists seven amazing qualities and characteristics of Jesus that nobody else has. And the reason why he's listing these qualities and characteristics is because he wants you to know and wants you to understand nobody is ever going to speak better about God's will than Jesus has. The greatest things God has to say to the world, he has said in Christ. That's the point. And then the question you might ask then, if you're reading these verses, well, what's so great about Jesus? Why is he so important? Why should I listen to him? Seven reasons. Here they are. Number one, because of his heirship. He is the one who has been appointed the heir of all things. If you have to deal with a company that is owned, privately owned, family owned, maybe the the head of the company is growing older and maybe the son, this man's son, is going to run the company when the older man is no longer able to do so. And the son is the heir of the company. He's the one that's going to inherit the company. And what the scripture is saying about Jesus is that Jesus Jesus has been appointed the heir of all things. That is, everything that has been made in heaven and on earth, all of these things were made through him, we'll see presently, and for him. In other words, I want to do business with this company. I walk up to this young man who is the heir of the company and I say, I need to do business with this company. Is there any part of the company that you are not authorized to do business No, I'm the heir. I'm the one who's going to receive all of this. I have received all of this. When we deal with Jesus, when we listen to Jesus, there is no part of God's will. There is no part of what God wants for you that is somehow outside of him, that's somehow apart from who he is. He is the one for whom we are made. We're made to please him, to serve him. We're made to have a relationship with him. He has been appointed heir of all things. Not only that, but secondly, if you look at verse two, his creatorship. By whom, Jesus, God made the world. The scripture is emphatic. Jesus is not created. He is not made by God. Rather, he is God and he makes everything. This passage teaches it. Colossians 1.16 teaches it. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 teach it. The Bible says, without him, Jesus, nothing was made that is made. He is the creator of everything. Why should I listen to Jesus? Why is Jesus the most eloquent expression of God's will? Because he's the creator himself. It's as if the creator came down and walked among us and showed us how God would have us to live. How is God, how is Jesus so eloquent? The scripture says because of his radiance. The expression is that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. If you think about it this way, God is light, the Bible tells us, and Jesus is the brightness, the glory of that light. He carries God's light everywhere he goes. First John chapter 1 verse 5, in him was life and light. Those things are found only in Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. And so when you look at Jesus, you see the glory of God. You see the glory of God when Jesus goes and he touches that leper that probably nobody had touched in ages. You see the glory of Jesus when he goes and he notices that lady who's giving all that she has to the temple treasury, the widow and her mites. You see the glory of Jesus when He's transfigured on the mountain. You see the glory of Jesus, the glory of God, when Jesus goes to the cross and dies for our sins. You see the glory of Jesus and the glory of God when Jesus rises from the dead on the third day. He is the radiance, the brightness of God's glory. Everything you see Jesus do is a reflection and expression of the glory of God. His being, who is Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. When you look at Jesus, you're seeing God. That's what the passage means. When you look at how Jesus lives and what Jesus says, when you listen to those words, you're seeing God. Again, his administration. I'm amazed by this. You know why the world is still turning? The world is still turning because the Bible tells us that Jesus, Jesus He upholds all things by the word of his power. If it wasn't for the word of Jesus, if it wasn't for his powerful words, all the atoms of the universe would just fly into nothingness, fly apart. Everything that keeps on going, the sun, the moon, the stars, all that happens in the world, the changing of the seasons, all those things happen because Jesus wills it to happen. The Bible is telling us that this, this Savior, this Jesus, he is the very best expression of God's will that you will ever receive. Again, what's so great about Jesus? His sacrifice. He has made purification for sins. When you read the book of Hebrews, which I hope that you're doing with us, As a congregation, we're trying to read the entire New Testament this year. We read Hebrews 1 through 5 this week. This week coming up, we're going to read Hebrews 6 through 10. Notice as you read the book of Hebrews, how often this idea of Jesus making purification for sins comes up. Who is it that we're listening to? We're listening to the one that has made purification. He's the one that can save us. He's the one that can redeem us. And he's the only one that can do those things. His sacrifice And finally, number seven, his exaltation. Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sits in a royal place. That's what that idea is, sitting down at the right hand of majesty. The temple was kind of like Bucky's. The Old Testament temple was kind of like the gas station Bucky's. You know what I'm talking about, most of you. If you're visiting with us, you ought to go before you leave town. In Bucky's, there are no places to sit. Have you ever noticed that? That's by design, that's intentional. They don't want you to linger. They want you and all of the thousand of your friends, they want you to buy your gum or whatever you're buying, and they want you to move on out, go sit and eat in your car, but you're not sitting in the store to eat. The temple was like that. There were no places to sit in the Old Testament temple. There were no chairs. And so when the priest went into the temple, the priest, he's always busy, he's always working, he's always serving, he's making sacrifices, or he's making atonement, or he's, he's offering incense, or he's changing the showbread. But wherever the priest goes, there's no place for him to sit down. But Jesus, our high priest... He has gone into the most holy place and he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He has finished the work of saving our souls. He's done everything that's necessary and everything that's required. And here's the point, brothers and sisters and friends. The point is, in the Old Testament, God spoke through all those prophets who were his tools and his mouthpieces. But in Jesus, God has given the very best possible revelation that you will ever receive because of those things. There is no prophet that you could say is heir of all things. There's no prophet that you could say created everything. There's no prophet that you could say is the radiance of God's glory. All of the prophets had feet of clay. All of them sinned because they're like us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, not Jesus. He is great because of who he is, his being and his administration. He's the one that holds the world together. He is the one who made the sacrifice and purified us from our sins. And he is the one who has sat down at the right hand of God's majesty and he reigns and he rules there and makes intercession for us even now. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25. You'll never find a better expression of God's will for you than by looking to Jesus. That's the point of Hebrews, by the way, because people were thinking, you know, I don't know if Christianity's for me. I, I may need to give up. It's getting really hard. And he's saying, you can't give up because of that right there. You can't give up because God has spoken most eloquently through Jesus. And you and I need to hear some things based on all of this, some principles to grasp. Principle number one. There is, brothers and sisters and friends, as you read Hebrews 1 and other passages in the New Testament as well, there is finality in the revelation that Jesus brought. Let me say it this way. Revelation, that is what God has to say to the world, it was progressive up until Jesus. If you're a parent and your child, your young child asks you a question, you'll probably give them an answer that is age-appropriate. At least I hope you're learning to do that. Age-appropriate answers are kind of hard to figure out sometimes, but you don't tell a three-year-old all of the intricacies of how a car's engine works. But later on, you might tell them more. And that's, that's the principle. God, in His revelation, He told the world what it needed. Good three-point sermon for those of you who like to preach. There was an era in world history that we might call the starlight era. That is, just as if you go out on a dark night and all you have are the stars, the only light that people had was like the starlight. The days of Adam, the days of Noah, the days of Abraham, starlight. And then when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, they moved into what we might call the moonlight era. Had a beautiful full moon the last couple of nights. And if you really turn off all the lights in Houston, which is not going to happen, but if you did, you would notice that that moon sheds a lot more light than just those stars do. And the days of the prophets and Moses and, and so on and so forth, it was like moonlight. We were seeing more and more of what God wanted. But now in Jesus, we have moved into the sunlight era. And aren't you thankful for the sunshine this time of year? Aren't you thankful for what the sun illuminates? That's what the Hebrews writer is saying. And he's saying, there's no brighter sun that's coming. There's no brighter light that's ever gonna be revealed. There is nothing else that God has to say to the world that he hasn't already said through Jesus. Revelation was progressive up until Jesus. And there is no progression beyond him. God has said everything he has to say in Jesus, he has nothing else to say to the world except for what he's already said. Jesus makes this point, the word that I have spoken will judge you at the last day. Well, how long should we listen to your words, Jesus? Until the last day, John 12, verse 48. Matthew seventeen five on the Mount of Transfiguration, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear him. Listen to Jesus. And what that means for us, brothers and sisters and friends, Jesus died, he ascended, and he revealed the finality of his will to the prophets and apostles in the New Testament days. When the New Testament was completed, God has said everything he's got to say to the world, period. Because in Jesus and in His will and the book of 1 Corinthians and the book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation, these are the words of God through Jesus Christ, His Son. When those books were brought to a conclusion, God has nothing more to say to the world than what He's already said because He said it so eloquently in Jesus. If I can be really specific, and I mean no ill will, I mean no unkindness, Muhammad in his cave in the 600s AD cannot be a prophet of God. And the reason why he cannot be a prophet of God is because God has already said everything he's got to say to the world most eloquently through Jesus. Joseph Smith cannot be a prophet of God In the 1800s, a man named Joseph Smith says that he found some additional revelation, another testament of Jesus Christ. But what he has to say and what he has to reveal is very different from what God has already said through Jesus. Benny Hinn cannot be a prophet of God. Why not? Because God has finished saying everything he's got to say to the world through Jesus. Your next door neighbor or your friend at work that says God spoke to me last night in a dream and God revealed to me that there was something I was supposed to be doing. They cannot be prophets of God. Why not? Because God has said everything that he's got to say. And he said it as well as it can be said in Jesus. That's the point. And the the scripture is saying in the book of Hebrews, don't leave Jesus. Don't leave what you read in the New Testament because God has said everything as eloquently as it can be said in Him. Don't listen to anybody else. Don't follow anybody else who says, I'm receiving information, and this is new, and we've not heard this before. Stop listening to those things. Whoever brings another gospel besides the one that you've, re- that you've received, let him be accursed. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. That's an important principle for people to grasp, to grasp today. It's all there in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Second principle to grasp, God's eloquence is unsurpassed. God says things better than anybody could say them. He says things in so many different ways at so many different people. He uses different genres of scripture. You think about the law or the poetry, you think about the history, you think about the prophecy, you think about the revelation that we have in the New Testament, the, the epistles and the letters. God has said what he's got to say to the world In the very best way that can be said, be careful how you talk about God's word, and especially be careful how you talk about Jesus Christ. Because sometimes we look at God's revelation and we kind of snicker and we kind of laugh and we say, Well, I don't know what God was thinking. We don't say it this way, but this is what's implied. I don't know what God was thinking when he wrote the book of Leviticus and Numbers. I don't know what God was thinking when he put Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. I don't know what God was thinking when he put 1 Corinthians chapter 7 or 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in there, but I really wish he'd given me more. God has said what he's got to say and he said it as well as it can be said, period. Nobody could do it better. You certainly can't improve on it. Be careful about your respect for the written word of God and what it teaches us. God is not the author of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. And there are some things in God's Word that are difficult for us to understand, 2 Peter 3, verse 16. But do not impugn the Word of God because His eloquence is unsurpassed. Third, Jesus is the exclusive way to a relationship with God. You cannot, Hebrews is going to make this point emphatically. You cannot go back to the Old Testament law. You cannot go back to what Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Jeremiah were doing and find what you need to do to be saved. You cannot find it there because God has spoken most eloquently through his son, who is the creator, who is the redeemer, who is the one who reigns at the right hand of the majesty on high. John 14, six, Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4 verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Can't be saved by anybody else, only Jesus. And the upshot of all this brothers and sisters and friends, as you read the book of Hebrews, don't leave Jesus, hold on to him. Because of who he is, because of the expression of God's will that he is, and because there is no hope in anybody else besides him. Don't give up on Jesus. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever struggles you have, whatever trials you're enduring, don't give up on Jesus. He is where your hope is. He is where your faith ought to be. He is where every good thing can be found. Hold on to him. Cling to Him and remember why you're doing those things. Maybe you're here this morning and we can help you obey the gospel. We'd love to be able to do so. Or maybe you're here this morning and you want to respond and ask for prayers. If we can do one of those things, we'd love the opportunity. Won't you come? All